Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? You, you feel pretty good today? You're a little quiet today, to be honest. A little bit quiet. Are we sleepy? Is the fourth just, just that exciting a couple days ago that we're just sleepy? I guess so. Uh, I want to start off real quick with, with uh, some, something pretty cool. Just so you know, because we, we, we plan these services pretty extensively, to be honest. And um, I just want to tell you today that I fully believe with my whole heart that God has a word for you today. And the reason that I believe that today, more than maybe some other days, is there are things threaded through today's service that only God can do. There have been words, there have been prayers, there have been things that literally are, are directly in line with what we're going to talk about today that I promise you, because we're in those meetings, that were not planned. God has planned all of this today. And so if you open your ears to hear, I promise God is going to give you a word. If you open your eyes to see him, God will show himself to you this morning. So Ah, let's get started. My name's Tyler. I am the student pastor here, and you got me today. It's going to be great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we are in a new series. We started last week called Road Trip. How many of you guys were here last week? Here last week. Awesome. You got to hear a really great speaker, Dr. Ken Hansen. Quick fun fact about Dr. Ken. That man has known me for 22 years. How crazy is that? The guy that preached last week, he has known me since I was five. So I know him as Pastor Ken before he was a doctor. So I'm just saying he got that after he knew me. Uh, but he, <laughs> but he, he kicked off um, this series fantastically. He was talking about, right, the importance of the direction of your life, right? The direction of our lives are extremely important. And he was uh, explaining to us how, how mindsets, the way that you process things in your mind matters. It really does. And when we have correct mindsets, we start to see things like Jesus. And one of the last things he said in his talk last week that sets up the rest of this whole series is he said, we rely on the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead us on new adventures. How many of you guys like adventures? Be honest here. I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't like adventures. I'm not a risk taker. I don't like to be in harm's way. I would like to live till a, a, a decent age, um, hopefully where my hair is gray, uh, but I still have hair. That's the plan. Uh, so I'm going to start like doing something about that now, hopefully. I don't know if there's like some new medications on the market, but you know, at some point they have to cure baldness. Come on. We're, we're too far, we're too far into the 21st century that we have to be able to cure baldness. Come on. <sighs> I'm not an adventure person. How many of you guys like adventures here? How many of you guys like, like extreme adventures? You guys are crazy. Um, but McKenna and I uh, went on a really pretty crazy adventure ourselves uh, just over two and a half years ago when we decided to uh, be pastors here. Uh, McKenna and I met in Denver, Colorado. We got engaged there, and then the Lord one day was like, you're going to pastor out here. And I was like, great. My wife is from Denver. It's like, we're going to just 
uproot her and move her. This is going to be going to be great. So, but here's the worst part is we had to pack our whole lives into that car. You see that thing right there? That was both of our lives, both stuff packed in the car. We were driving 27 hours. We were committed to it because I said yes, so I couldn't back out now. Uh, and here's the thing about like, like cross-country travel, right? You have to plan it. You can't just like, like go for it. If you do, you might get lost. You might read you know, maps and stuff and just hope that you get there. So I got a great gift in marrying McKenna because she, if you know anything about her, she is a type A planner, baby, and I love it. Because I am not, the, uh, like, I'm not the planner. I'm like, hey, let's just show up and do it, and she's like, no, that's dumb. So she planned this whole travel plan for us. She, she planned all the stops. She said, hey, there's three most important things, and that is food, gas, and coffee. So we planned this whole trip, 27 hours, around food, gas, and coffee. And to our genius, we thought we should just plan this around stopping at major cities, right? Like that makes sense. You just, hey, I'm going to type in Toledo. <laughs> We're going to Toledo. So this was great up until we hit Des Moines, Iowa. You already know that Des Moines is bad because nobody knows how to say it. It's spelled like Des Moines. So if you don't know how to pronounce the city, it's already terrible probably. And I have a good story of why it's terrible. So if you're from Des Moines, I'm sorry. We got to Des Moines and again, we were going to major cities. So we didn't really think about it. And this thing took us to a gas station in the heart of Des Moines, like downtown. And me and McKenna were freshly engaged. We weren't married yet. And so we pulled into the station. I'm like, babe, don't worry. I got it. I'll go pump the gas. You, you, you don't have to get out of the car. I got it. Don't worry. She's like, my hero. I'm like, I know. So I get out. I start pumping the gas. We're all good. Now I get approached by a dude. And, and I'm immediately in like kind of fear for my life because that's just like my natural state. I don't like to take risks. So I'm like, this dude is probably going to kill me, but we'll see. So now from McKenna's perspective, and this is important, McKenna is inside that. Oh, uh, uh, bat, yep. So McKenna is in that car still. So from her perspective, this man came up and we're conversating and she can't hear anything, blah, blah, blah. I slipped this man a 20. I know. I know, a 20. I gave this man a 20 spot. Not a dollar, not 50 cents. I gave him a 20 spot. I get back in the car and McKenna's first question is like, babe, why'd you give him a 20? And my first response, no lie, was, was I was weighing my outcome of what would have happened if I said no. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? And then I know all of you guys are like, well, Pastor Tyler, I know that what's gonna happen is you're gonna tell the story about compassion. You know, oh, you blessed this man. No, uh-uh, I was scared. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. I was afraid in this moment. And this dude wasn't in the gas station, like in a car. He came from across the street and he walked up to me. He didn't say he needed gas money. He just said, I need money. And so my first thought was like, well, you're gonna beat me up in the parking lot. So here's a $20 bill. And at the moment, McKenna and I weren't married yet. So we're like, we're, we're trying to save, you know, money for, you know, things like that. And she's like, why'd you give him a $20 bill? It's like, McKenna, my life is more important than this $20 bill. It is. I'm sorry. It is. And in this moment, I was weighing the cost of my life in this parking lot. But you can go to the next slide. I was also on my mind was this man right here. He looks fun loving. But when I first met him, he was a dangerous man. This guy is McKenna's father. <laughs> and the first thing I thought, 
is this guy, his name is Randy. He's this big, thick mustache. He talks like this. Hey, Tyler. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> and the first thing I thought was, okay, my life's in danger. And then I thought, could you imagine I would have to call this man before we're even married and say, hey, just so you know, we stopped in Iowa for gas. Some guy walked up, beat me up, left me in the parking lot, and your daughter was in danger. That wasn't going to happen. So I slipped him a 20. <laughs> and I said, be blessed. You can have that $20 bill. In this moment, like quite literally, I was weighing the outcome of my life, like, like I actually was. I was counting um, the cost of what my response was going to stir up in the air. Does that make sense? I like in this moment had to think like, okay, if I say this, this could happen. If I do this, this could happen. And so in this moment, I was weighing all of the outcomes. And what's funny is like that idea of weighing all the outcomes is such a deep biblical principle. Like it, it, it's so much deeper than I think on the surface we think. And it's actually a Jesus principle. Jesus talks a whole ton about this idea in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 14. We are going to be at the end of the chapter, basically, verses 26 through 30. If you have the Version app, you can look us up under live events. If you have the TCC app, you can also get my notes there. Yes, Luke 14. I'll let you stall. It's towards the back of your Bible. But if you've hit Revelations, you're too far. <laughs> Luke 14. All right, let's go on an adventure. Here we go. Uh, Luke 14, verse 26 says, if you want to be my disciple, this is Jesus talking, by the way, just want to put that out as a preference so you can't be mad at me. If you want to be a disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Then would say, there's that person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Woo. Imagine being that guy. Like, yeah, that was my house. It's just the basement, though. <laughs> I don't have any rooms, but it's just the basement. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I miscalculated. Right? So there are two parts here that we, 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 we are, are going to dive in here um, that I think is, is super important, and that is the assessment and the action. When we look at a verse like this, and Jesus is, is very direct with his words, he's asking us to take a second and look at the whole passage and say, what are you thinking about this passage as a whole? It's not just about the carry up your cross. Yes, that's important. But we have to understand why we're doing that. And we're breaking it into two parts because, and I firmly believe this, God has gifted every single one of us in this room with discernment and understanding. That is something that God has gifted us all to have. So my, my natural response is, why would God not want us to process things before we blindly jump into them? Does that make sense? Like, why would God not want us to use the discernment and the understanding that God has gifted us 
to process situations like this before we blindly jump into them. Now, this is different than what the definition of faith is, right? Faith is believing without seeing. Nobody's questioning faith. What we're questioning here is if Jesus gives us something to understand, instead of just going, yep, I understand it, (laughs) we have to process it. We have to figure out what he's saying. I fully believe this as spontaneous as God is, and I believe in the spontaneity of God. I do. But as spontaneous as he is, he is also a God of order and understanding. God is a God of order and understanding just as much as he is spontaneous. Look at the world. Look at space, the universe, living things. Those are not just spontaneous, just, hey, I'll just put this in here and hope it works. They all have processes. They, they within themselves have understanding. And so if God is that way, then we have to assume following Jesus is no different. In this passage, we see a clear communication about what we have to think about before just jumping into life with Jesus. Jesus makes statements here using words that like we don't commonly associate with Jesus, Right? Like in red letter, he uses the word hate. Would you associate the word hate with Jesus? Exactly. And I'll be honest with you, when I was preparing for this, the first thing I did was like, well, let's go check the Greek and make sure that word hate, it just means hate. That, that, that Greek word just means hate. So we're gonna buckle up and go on a ride. It's gonna be great. So it's believed, and we have to start with context, right? So it's believed that Jesus is starting off this, this um, exchange direct, directly because Jesus wants no miscommunication in this moment that we're about to read. He wants no miscommunication about who he is, who his father is, and what their mission is. He wants no miscommunication. Think about it. Have you ever been caught up in the crowd, right? Have have you just been caught up in the moment, right? Are you guys Eagles fans? Was anybody hanging from any street poles when you won the Super Bowl a couple years ago? can be honest it's a safe space except for the online like they'll see you and then that's millions of people right but that's what I'm saying if you were downtown in that moment I know for a fact maybe some of you would have been hanging from street poles because you're caught up in the crowd I have friends the Denver Nuggets just won the NBA finals and I have friends out in Denver and I'm not joking I have video evidence of them swinging from light poles like, like tearing down, like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, you, what happened? He was like, we won the championship. I'm like, you didn't do anything. But they were swinging from the light poles, right? Caught up in the moment, caught up in the crowd. And this is believed to be um, the moment that Jesus is pastoring, basically. A crowd of people who may have just come um, from watching him heal a man on Sabbath, go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees about the healing on Sabbath, sit at dinner, teach all these people at dinner in brand new ways they've never heard, and then Jesus just leaves. So we pick it up right here where there's this crowd of people that now Jesus is talking to, and what's believed is that this crowd of people just witnessed him do all of these fantastic things in probably less than four hours. So what's happening is Jesus is leaving this dinner to go on their way, and this crowd crowd's going, yo, that was crazy. I got to follow him. But here's the thing. If you were present, wouldn't you have been curious as well? Right, like if you were invited to a dinner, or you were just at dinner, and this man, before he walked in, as he's going to eat, he goes, you're healed. <laughs> and he's like, what just happened? And then the Pharisees, which rule you, right, rule you in that day, 
you, you can't, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I can do that, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, you can. So you're watching Jesus do all this stuff. Wouldn't you have followed him afterwards? I would have. Even if I didn't know the man yet, I would have like, dude, this was crazy. I need to go see what he's going to do next. But here's the thing. Jesus understood in that moment, for some of the people in that crowd, it was the spectacle experience, not the spiritual. And this is important, church, for us to know. There's a difference between what you are seeing, and there's a difference between what, what changes inside of you when you see it. That is different. So there's this large crowd, right, and they're following Jesus because maybe some of them just watched what happened. And they've never seen anything like it, so now they're just following. Some of them were deeply impacted. But Jesus is speaking to the people in this crowd that followed him just because of what they saw. Not necessarily what they felt. And so, in this passage, what do we do and how does it correlate to us? Well, number one, we have to assess all of the costs. Every single one of the costs. What Jesus is asking in this passage to this large group is, hey, I know you just watched me do miraculous things, but you have to think about what it's going to cost you to follow me. Like you physically right now are just walking with me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says, I have something deeper for you. I have something spiritual for you. I have a heart change for you. It's not just about you following me from point A to B. It's about your heart changing from point A to B. So Jesus in this moment is speaking directly because he understands some people are not ready to hear that. It's not enough for us to assess one of the costs or two of the costs and just, well, I hope the rest are fine. That's not how it works. Jesus is asking this crowd and us to assess all of the costs. Let's look at the passage. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Again, in your Bible, this will be in red letters, so don't be mad at me. He's crystal clear here, and it's hard for us to comprehend sometimes because we all have lives, right? Some of us are married, we have kids, we have careers, jobs. Jesus in this moment is saying, hey, by comparison, all of that means nothing compared to what I have to give you. He is saying that there can be nothing that takes priority over Jesus and his ways. So when he's using this word hate, he's using it in a comparative sense, saying, hey, all of the things that you deem more important than me in comparison are not. And the only way that you can be fully transformed is if we step into a space that says, I trust you, God, so much that I'm willing to follow your ways and lay the things down that I have to lay down because you're that much better. And honestly, I think this is where we already make a wrong turn sometimes. <laughs> I know that this happens with me, right? We sometimes believe we can meet Jesus and leave unchanged, right? We believe that we can come into this building, encounter him, and then just go do what we want again. We believe that we can sit in these chairs and experience something and then go, okay, I'm going to brush off the experience and I'm going back. We believe that we can meet Jesus and leave going the same way, believing the same truths, 
and living the same lives. When in fact, scripture talks about this as well. John 14, 6 says, and we all know this one, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus in this scripture, John 14, 6, is saying, hey, all of the things that in Luke 14 I'm telling you you need to give up, I'm the better version of them all. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Luke 14, hey, you have to give up everything to be my follower. But what does that mean? That means that the things that you're laying down, your families, your careers, your lives, God has better versions of those for you. That's where I think we, we twist it in our own human understanding is we think, well, God's asking me to give all this up and then I'll be left with nothing. No, that's not how it works. God is saying all of the things that, we, that, that I'm requiring of you to lay down, I have better versions of all of those things waiting for you. And I think something that we forget about the disciples, right, the closest men to him, we forget that the disciples laid down things. We read all in scripture, all the crazy, awesome stories about, oh my gosh, and they're in prison, and the prison walls fell down. And like, we, we read all those crazy things, but what do, we, what do we forget? They gave up careers. They gave up families. Some of them left their mom and dads, like 15 years old. We forget that we have examples of people laying down real life things. But here's the thing, at any point in scripture, do we see any of the disciples write down and say, I really regret it. I regret what I gave up. They don't, why? Because Jesus offered every single thing that they laid, lay, every single thing they laid down, Jesus offered a better version of it. And this is what Jesus is more talking about when he's asking us to count the cost, assessing all of the cost it is to follow him. When we are assessing our moments with Jesus, if you're gonna write one note down, write this one down. When we are assessing our moments with Jesus, we have to understand Jesus is not looking to trade with you, he's looking to bless you. He's not looking to trade something. Like, well, I have a dollar, Jesus has one, and we'll just trade a dollar for a dollar. That's not what he wants. He wants to give you more. He wants to bless you with something greater than what you have in your hand right now. Jesus has never been in the business of trading. He was in the business of buying something and then giving you back millions fold of what he bought us for. That's the part that when, 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 when we assess our, our, our encounters with Jesus, we have to get in the mindset that, man, God, you have something better for me. And it's hard for me to lay this down right now. It really is. But I know in my heart of hearts that you have something better for me because you're not in the business of trading. You're in the business of blessing. So if he wants to bless you, counting the cost has nothing to do with you laying something down and never getting anything in return. It has everything to do with you receive something a million times better. But it doesn't mean 
that Jesus still doesn't ask us to assess what's happening in the moment. In John 12, it says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. That sounds like blessings to me, Right? Anybody who serves me, anybody who follows me, my Father is prepared to give you something. My Father is prepared to gift you with something. The only way that we can move into actionable items, actionable faith, what's been talked about all morning, Michaela, the only way that we can do that is if we first assess everything that is possible Everything that could change in our lives, everything that God is requiring of us, we have to first go there and realize that, well, the next step then would be action. And so, well, I need to make sure that I'm willing to lay these things down first. Because I'll tell you one thing, I've been in the church long enough to know that if you do that in the reverse process, you are going to be in a world of hurt (laughs) Because God is going to start to to pull things away from you that aren't good for you before you knew to give it up. And you're going to be like, my life is changing. Everything is moving. And God's like, yeah, these things are not good for you. Let me give you something better. And if we don't come to that realization before we take an action, God's going to do it. So again, God is a God of understanding. He wants us to be able to have a little bit of a leeway there to understand that God is going to take some things away from us, and he'll always replace them with better. We have to count the cost of the action. Okay, it's not just enough to to assess all the costs. We have to count the cost now of the action, right? If we read the scripture further, Uh, Verse 27, uh, if you can, uh, Alex, I'm jumping around a bit. Verse 20, oh yeah, right, right, right there, yep. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. If you do not carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. We have to count the cost of action. This is important. Why was the cross a scary word? It's believed that the the large group of people, right, that were following Jesus didn't need an explanation of what the cross meant because in the Roman world, a cross meant death. That is what it meant. They understood that. Crucifixion was normal. So Jesus in this moment is taking a real world world thing. By the way, before he's crucified on the cross, he says this. So obviously, if you were under the impression that crucifixion never happened before Jesus, that is not true. Crucifixion did happen before Jesus. And this crowd knew that. So what Jesus was speaking to is a people that understood that when the Romans crucified a criminal on a cross just like that, What they were saying is that cross was all of the sin and the charges and the transgression that was committed. And what they made the criminal do first is not just hang there, but they made them carry that cross. Like taking 
the crimes and pinning it on the person. That is what the symbolism was of that action. It wasn't just to torment them, it was to also say, hey, this man did this. You take it to the place, they put you on it, and that's where your story ended. Carrying a cross always led to death. No one carried a cross for fun, believe it or not. And Jesus didn't have to explain any of that because they knew that. If someone took up his cross, they never came back. It was a one-way journey. It's important for us to understand. It was a one-way journey. He chose to use the word his cross and not just a generic the cross or a cross because he understands, and this is important, guys, we have individual crosses. Your cross is not my cross. Your cross is not my cross. Our crosses are individual. But here's the thing. Your cross, just because our crosses are different, doesn't mean we don't carry them. Our crosses are individual. And so he's using this phrasing because he understands, again, right, the context. We're talking to a crowd that may not know anything about him. It's a crowd that's following him just because he did something or said something. So Jesus is reestablishing in this moment, this is who I am. And this is the cost it's going to take to follow me truthfully. The problem with everything always leading to action, right, is that our actions have to match our words. It's so funny. Michaela literally said, said this today. She said, we talk a lot. We have to go to action at some point. We have to take action. That is a part of this passage. Right? He's saying, look, you, you have to assess all these costs, but that's not where it stops. You cannot assess, I love all of you, and that's why I'm going to say this. You cannot assess your lives for 40 years and never step into action. We cannot stay in a space where we're assessing our lives for 40, 50, 60 years and never step into action. That's not what this passage is saying. Jesus is not looking for words without actions. Everybody said amen, right? Because we believe, right, that it's not just about what we know, it's about what we do. But here's the flip side, and some of you are, are going to go, what? Jesus is also not looking for actions without words. Guys, the church was always meant to be intention. We have to have knowledge, and we have to have action. That's why in this passage, when he's saying count the cost, that is an understanding aspect. That's not an actionable a- a- um, aspect. We need both of them. We need to understand what the cost is, and then we need to act on the cost, whether we believe it or not. Words without action don't matter, and an action without words don't matter either. It's the same in both sides. Taking action in our faiths is important to God. And here's the funny thing is like today's talk is supposed to be about the counting the cost, but the more that you study this passage, the more you realize the counting the cost is the easy part. The hard part is taking action and laying the cost down and then stepping into that action. Again, I just said <laughs> this. Some of you in this room have been assessing your costs for 30 years. You've been assessing the cost 
of following Jesus for longer than, than you've been alive. How does it make sense? Well, that means that you've never maybe actually followed Jesus, but you know everything about him, but we've not fully assessed what it means to take action in our faiths. And if you don't believe me about action, 1 John 3 says this, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. James 1.22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Not just know what it says. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. James 2.14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Our actions are important. So the second part of this between the assessment and the action, the action is important. And I know that for all of our theologians in here, they're really, oh yeah, but the assessment is where we find God. It's not. The action is where you see the hands and feet of Jesus. The action is where you see him washing the feet of the disciples. The action is where you see him at the well with the woman. The action is where you see him walking the streets and a woman believes so much that she touched his garment and power left him and healed her. That is where we see Jesus. We can have an understanding of Jesus, but you see him in the things that we do. You see him in the things the church does. Our actions are important, but don't worry, I won't leave you word people out. Our words are important too. Romans 9.1 says this, with Christ as my witness, I speak. I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience in the Holy Spirit confirms it. 2 Corinthians 11.10 says, as surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece, Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. No one will stop me from speaking about this. And the one we all know, Ephesians 4.15, instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. They're both important. Your words are important. Your actions are important. The assessment of your lives, the assessment of your moments with Jesus, have to lead to action. It has to lead to actionable items. If it doesn't, then we could sit in these four walls and talk about God all we want. But nobody's ever going to see it. Nobody's going to hear it. Your argument on whether this is right or this is wrong is great until nobody gets to hear it. Our conversations about whether the rapture is the preacher, poster, blah, 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 is great until nobody gets to hear it. So God in this moment, again, is asking us to count the cost, assess these moments with God and say, am I willing to lay these things down in actionable ways and follow Jesus, start an adventure with Jesus? That's what assessment 
is for. What we do understanding what Jesus is asking of us is the difference. Right? Like we sit here, right? Most of us sit here four Sundays every month. And we think and we sing about the costs. Oh God, give me more of you. Give me more. Give me more. Help me lay it down. We say it, we sing it, we say it, we sing it, we speak it. But if we do not do anything about it, that is the difference between a church on the move and a church that's stagnant. And that's what God is asking of us today. Right, counting the clock, a cost gets us nowhere if we don't translate it to action. Like it, again guys, we, 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 we can count the cost all day. We could calculate every cost until the cows come home. But if it doesn't move into the actionable item that God is saying, hey, carry, take up your cross and follow me, then it sits here for the rest of our days, right? A building serves no purpose if it stays in a building plan and is never built. This building, if this building was never built, but in, but, but in the third drawer on the left of the desk at the well sits a building plan for this building in a 2D image and pencil, and it never got built, it serves no purpose. A building serves no purpose if it's never built. Your faith will always drag, I love you. Our faith will always drag and be boring if we never put to action all that is assessed. I think about it, man. We, we could sit here and dream as big as we can dream. And, and, and it's like, oh yeah, that would be awesome. Okay, well we'll do this same conversation a week from now. Cool, okay. And we never do anything no wonder some of our faiths feel stagnant or maybe, again, the threads, what, what Hannah said, complacency, complacent. No wonder our faiths feel like that. No wonder the Western church feels like that. Because we aren't stepping into action. I know I'm young and I say some crazy things. I'm about to say something crazy. We talk too much. We do. We talk way too much. We don't do enough, but we talk enough. And God's not mad at us talking. He's disappointed that we're not moving. He's disappointed that we, we aren't talking and dreaming and, oh, yeah, yeah, and then we put in action plans to say, God, we have assessed it. We have calculated the cost to build your kingdom, and now let's do the plan. We, we have sat around a, a, a boardroom table for thousands of years. Yeah, we should do this, and oh, yeah, we should do this. Hey, yeah, you, you, blah, blah, blah. We've sat around this table for years, and we've not said, awesome, sign it, seal it, let's do it. That's where we are. That's where we are. And that's what God is asking this morning. I, I, guys, I truly believe that. There has been too much confirmation this morning to think otherwise. Why are we so passionate about missions? Because Jesus wants a church on the move. Why are we passionate about not being complacent? 
because Jesus wants hearts of the people on the move. Why do we have to assess the cost? Because Jesus wants you to pick up your cross and follow him. Jesus was talking to me last night, and this isn't in my notes, but he was saying, like, man, imagine if, like, we all were watching Jesus walk to get crucified. Right? And, and what stands out to me in this is when I close my eyes and I watch him walk, like, let's say that I have all the knowledge and all the passion that I have today standing on this stage right now. It's all the same. All the variables are the same except for I'm seeing Jesus face-to-face walking with his cross. And in scripture, he tells me to carry my cross and follow him. What would I do? Like, truthfully. Like, there's foreshadowing here. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not just about follow his ministry. He, he is saying, like, hey, soon I'm going to be walking that road. And I'm going to have that thing strapped to my back. Have you counted that cost of what it would mean to say, hey, Ty, I need you to put that on your back. And I need you to walk that road with me. I think when we sit in these moments and we assess what God is asking, right, we sometimes get these questions that are like, okay, where am I going? What is my direction? What are my truths? Why is my life unchanged? Why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like that? Right, and Jesus, I promise you in these moments, if we sit there long enough, and we're assessing and we move into action, Jesus will start to show you the beauty that he has for you after we've taken action. We have to count the cost of life with him. This is important. You have to. It's not just about hoping that, you know, after life with him, like, yeah, sunshine and rainbows are just... You know, I skip through the fields every day. It's great. Like, that is not the case. It's not enough to count the cost before or to count the cost of the action. You have to count the cost of life with him. The disciples did this. The disciples left everything and said, I got to count the cost right now of what life with him on the road, hunted, living in tents, living off berries, I have to count that cost too. The beautiful part, because we have to end positive, we have to, because Jesus is good. Amen. Here's the beautiful part about this adventure with God, and it really is an adventure. He has already told us what he is waiting for us when we decide to follow him. To wrap up literally the passage that Michaela said, and it's in my notes because it's going to pop up on the screen. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And, I, and I, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Like, God is not in the business of trading you. 
Jesus in his words says, my father and I have come to give you more life. I've come to give you more. I'm not sneaking over the fence. I'm not taking your sheep. I'm not taking the things forcefully. I'm standing at the door saying, man, if you just counted the cost for one second, if you just assessed what I have to offer you, I'm going to give you more. I'm promising you that I'm going to give you more. I'm, I'm promising you here in this moment. I'm not trading. I'm going to give you more. This whole week, God, God has had me assessing my life, assessing my career, my job, my dog Nova, my wife, my house. And after every moment that I pause and I say, God, what am I assessing? He goes, man, you don't have to give it away. I'm going to give you a better version of it all. So if you struggle with your relationship with your kids, give it to God. He's going to give you a better relationship with your kids. If you're struggling with your marriage today, give your marriage to God. He will give you a better marriage. I promise you. Why can I promise that? Because he promised it. I didn't promise it. And this isn't some prophet in the Old Testament saying, well, the Lord told me this. This is Jesus. This is the man that gave you salvation. He promises you those things better. So why is it important? That's the last thing I'll say. Sorry, we're a little long. The Spirit was moving today. So you have to take it up with God. So why... Why is it important? When we count the cost of our faiths, that cost is giving value back to God. Everything we do in our faiths has to point back to to glorifying the Father. And when you count the costs, the sum of the cost gives all the value back to God. It says, well, God, I'm married, I have, I, have, I have a career and my family and all these things, and man, this, this is starting to add up to a lot of stuff to give you. I don't know if I have the strength to, to blah, blah, blah. And God's saying, it wasn't yours to begin with. And if you give it to me, I'll give you something better. And in that moment, I'm gonna bless you with something. And guess what? All of that comes back and it says, God is good. And that God is the thing that we value. Right? You don't build a house just to build a house. You build a house for purpose. You don't get married just to get married. You get married for a purpose. We don't count the cost of following Jesus just to count numbers and count experiences. We count it because God is valuable. And our life, this adventure with God is worth it.
God, we are thankful for you. God, I'm thankful that your spirit moves. I'm thankful that in the moments where we have to assess all of the things going on in our lives and process whether they are the, the, the top priority or not, God, I'm thankful that you are graceful. I'm thankful that you are understanding that sometimes it's not an easy process for us humans, but I'm thankful for that every heart here, we have the opportunity to know you deeper and to step into a life with you deeper. God, I pray that every day that we experience with you, we just count the cost of every moment so that when you ask us to take action, when you ask us to um, carry our cross and follow you, we are more than prepared to lay it at the feet of Jesus. God, I pray for marriages today, relationships today. I pray that those things that we feel like we can't lay down at your feet, that you give us a peace and, and a sensitivity to lay them before you today. God, we are thankful for you and all that you continue to do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.